Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, it's been a little while since you and I got in a real baseball argument. But we did this week. You and I were going at it a little bit in a group text with your mom. Your mom was in the group text just like catching strays. But you and I were yelling back and forth at each other. I don't know if I can remember a time when we were this like fake mad at each other about a baseball argument since what? Well, well, like the, the DH. DH. The DH for sure. But also like relief pitching versus starting pitching. I remember being a pretty right, heated yeah. argument on the this podcast. Is, we're talking back, years, years ago at this back point. Back when we still used to do the podcast in person, right? At WNYU. Shout out to 89.1. But you and I got an argument about Rays versus Yankees this week. You wanted the Rays to advance. I wanted the Yankees to advance. And we were doing like the tipping pitches thing where we like moralize it you know it's like which team deserves to move on more based on like how they've been managed and the real answer is neither team right i mean yeah if you moralize everything like no baseball team deserves to go to the world series (laughs) however we were arguing about which team would be i guess like more fun these very esoteric things that we talk about all the time which team would be more fun which is better for baseball and um Congratulations to you. You were victorious. You were on the side of the Rays. I was on the side of the Yankees. And we don't need to have that knock them down, drag them out argument because the series ended, you know, by the time people are listening to this three days ago and they're not interested. No one's going to care. (laughs) I just want the listeners to know. I feel like they care a lot about, you know, our rapport here, our relationship, that we're doing okay. We got in a fight. We We made it. We made it through to the other side. We'd been doing a little bit of subtweeting from the same account to each other in the past couple of weeks. We're like, I'll share a take and you'll be like, this take is not endorsed by Alex. And I'll be like, mm-hmm, this take mm-hmm. is not endorsed by Bobby, you know, so like <laughs> a little bit of a cold war developing, but we figured it out. We're OK. Yeah. You know, I think this is this is good. This is healthy for us. You know, if we nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, we get on this podcast and just yell the same things back and forth at each other. So we could we could use a little disagreement once in a while. It's all, you keep it in the family. It's all healthy. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all love here at Tipping Pitches. We have a fun episode in store today, Alex. Um, we were rejoined by Jess Scarane, who joined the podcast uh, about like two months ago now. I don't really know. Time is a flat circle. Um, Join the podcast to talk about her campaign for the Delaware Senate seat and uh, to talk about minor league unionization and I don't know the the state of baseball as a cultural artifact. It was a very fun conversation. I hope that a lot of you listened to it then. Um, but Jess had mentioned that she was not watching a lot of baseball because it's hard to run a campaign while also watching three and a half hour baseball games every night. It's a very, very busy world when you're running for office. Um, Jess has a little more free time now. Unfortunately, she did not come out on the victorious side of that Senate election against Chris Coons. But that means that she is the tipping pitches playoff baseball correspondent. So we're going to get right into that conversation with Jess. Um, But before we get there, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you, of course, are listening to Tipping Pitches.
Okay, Alex, we are once again joined by Jess Gray. And Jess joined us, I don't know, what, a couple months ago and talked yeah. about unionizing the miners, talked about uh, making baseball a more equitable, equitable place, talked about national politics. Jess, hello. Hi, it's great to be back. It's great to have you back. We, um, on our last podcast and on Twitter, you have talked about how you hadn't gotten to watch as much regular season baseball as you were typically used to this year. Um, but we noticed that you've been watching a little more playoff baseball. <laughs> well, I lost an election, so I have more time. <laughs> <laughs> Silver lining is baseball, which yeah, um, I exactly. feel like can be uh, maybe a mission statement of this podcast. The silver lining <laughs> is the actual baseball part. Yeah, um, exactly. So we asked you to join us and to share some takeaways from this playoffs. But before we get into all of that, how are you doing? How is just getting to hang out and watch baseball? How's your... Um, your experience during this quarantine as we enter into the fall how are you a little Uh, a little more free free time right now (laughs) yeah i do have more free time i actually read a couple books which was something i used to do all the time and didn't do it all this year so i was like i was happy about that um and yeah i took three weeks off so i had take i had gone on leave from work in like july or something and was just focusing on the campaign and my employer was very kind they were like listen when you're ready to talk about coming back like let's talk so i okay, like what if eventually- i'm ready to, never ready to talk about that <laughs> yeah well i mean you have a bank account that you have to keep filling unfortunately in this world I <laughs> so yes, i hear that's true yeah so i took i did i took like 3 weeks just to kind of hang out and you know have a relationship with my husband again like make dinner <laughs> read books all all do, good and necessary yeah, things exactly <laughs> so that was that was a nice uh, way to spend time but i don't know i mean i think i'm in the same place as as everybody when it comes to quarantine and everything else i met a woman at the dog park the other day who was like, I can't remember how I introduced myself or started talking to her. And she's like, I'm glad you didn't ask me like what's going on because everyone keeps asking me what's going on. And I just keep saying literally nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like what, why did we keep asking each other that? So that's where I'm at. I'm just like literally nothing. I got um, asked on a, I appeared on a friend's podcast last week and I got, he asked me, he's like, how are you? You know, like the typical host thing that you do that I just did to you, you which did to I, I should yeah. know that I shouldn't do that to guests, but <laughs> And I was like, I'm going to turn that question back on you, Mike. How, like, how am I supposed to answer that question right now? And his tip to me was, you should just, you should make it micro. You know, you should be like, well, today is better than yesterday because. And then that's okay. your answer. You don't have to be like, I'm feeling okay, but existentially yeah. really yeah, bad. Like, and then like yeah. into this whole like 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, today's yeah. better than yesterday because, or I'm looking forward to tomorrow because. So okay. that's how I'm well, going to start answering answer that, that question. One. That's a good one because today is better than yesterday because I almost <laughs> don't want to admit this. But so I, I intentionally don't play video games because I get super sucked into them. And I watched a Twitch stream on Friday of New Call of Duty, and you could get like a code for the beta from the Twitch stream. So I got it, and then I played Call of Duty for like eight hours yesterday, and I am not good. Like, it's I'm trash at this game, but I still played for like, I lost eight hours of my life. So today is better than yesterday because I have not lost eight hours of my life to a game that I'm awful at. So <laughs> baby steps. That's no, you know. I'm stepping away. Like, no, I can't. It makes me feel awful. Like we went to dinner or we went over to my, um, my like husband's parents house to like have dinner outside on the porch. And I was just like, I have done nothing all day today. It's 5 p.m. And I'm just a waste. So 
Today's already been better than that. That's okay. Alex and I, we lived together for three years in college. And in our senior year, I had finished up classes for the spring before the spring semester. So I was done. And everybody else, all of my friends were going to classes. And I was just doing nothing except like telling myself <laughs> I was going to apply for jobs like oh, yeah. during the daytime. <laughs> sure. But I would just wake up at noon and play like six straight hours of MLB The Show. And then I would go to the bodega and I would get like a wrap and then I would come back and I would play MLB the show until people got home from classes. Alex, <laughs> would, like, it, it would, I would literally leave and he would be sitting on the couch the spot. playing MLB the show same and I would couch. come back and he would be in the same spot. <laughs> oh my God. But you were talking about being like a 22 year old. I'm a 35 year old woman. Who we're just all kind of like 22 year old college students right now, right though. Now like stuck at are, home on our right? couches. Just like inside. that's kind of really what it feels like. I've gotten really into like weird snacks that I like <laughs> keep buying for no reason, like gummy worms and stuff that like used to never make it into my shopping cart i'm like yeah this is who i am now (laughs) that's self-care yeah exactly so yeah i'm Uh, doing great bobby thanks for asking (laughs) (laughs) um as you mentioned uh you you participated in an election earlier this year and while uh you didn't obtain the desired outcome um i'm sure you learned a lot of lessons and you garnered a lot of national attention and you fought hard. I'm just kind of curious what you learned from that. Even though even though you lost, <laughs> what <laughs> what were your kind of takeaways um from from that whole experience? Well, I mean, I I joke about losing and I'm sort of like self-deprecating about it, uh, but I think there's no shame in losing, so I don't feel bad about that by any means. I think that I'm self-deprecating about it, but I absolutely think we had so many wins along the way that we're incredibly proud of. And I think that is one of the the most important things to learn from any of these campaigns that we run. Um, They change the conversation that's being had. They have a conversation at all. In the case of the the election that we ran in against the current senator of uh, Delaware, like no one else was going to run against him and no one has ever run against him. So there's never been a conversation about his record or the things that he stands for or doesn't stand for. And that's incredibly important to have. I think the other wins that we had is that we now have dozens of organizers that like our campaign trained in the state of Delaware who can do this work. And that was one of the things that we focused on from the beginning because that infrastructure doesn't really exist in our state. Like there's a few, there was like a handful of people that could do it. We really wanted to use this as an opportunity to train a whole another cohort of people. And we did that. And now they've moved on to other campaigns that have general election um, that are in the general election in November. And they're helping them do their field work. They're doing their messaging work and fundraising and, and all of those important things that go into these campaigns. I think the thing that I am absolutely coming away with the most is like, a reminder that the conversations that we have online are not really the conversations that you have in person. And I think that seems so self-evident. Like people are always like, Twitter isn't real life, but like, it really is true. And it's important to have those in-person conversations. Like we cannot solely be having a narrative online because that cuts so many people out of it. But when you go and you knock on someone's door, you have this conversation in, in person or you call them they often are aligned with some of these more quote unquote leftist ideas because they really do see it as the way that the world should operate. 
So there are ways to break through there in a way that you probably don't online, right? You have to be like, everyone's so quick to just like spike something or jump on top of people. And like, that is not how you interact with people in the real world. And I think like that is such an important thing to remind ourselves of. Like some of us who do spend quite a bit of time on Twitter and like maybe even were first exposed to these ideas there. Like we have to remember that everyone is sort of at a different place in their journey toward those ideas. And even if they might be open to like the world should be different and better, we have to find ways to pull them along and make it really personal for them. And that's not always what happens when you're online. So I think that's kind of something that really resonates with me. And I keep trying to remind people of is that a lot of people after the election were just like, oh, like Delaware just wasn't ready for you. And I'm like, maybe, but like, we have to remember that a lot of people who are pushing for more socialist ideas in now in 2020 probably weren't there in 2014, 2015, even 2018. Like everyone has kind of been, is on a journey. And what it's really about is like, how do you reach out to those people, make this really personal to them, figure out what's important to them and like tell them the story of how their personal life could be better with the changes that we are pushing for and just keep having those conversations over and over and really make it individualized and not have it be kind of all or nothing, which I think is what ends up happening a lot in the conversations that we have online. So that's like one thing that really resonated. And I, I think I kind of knew it was true beforehand, but it, it really, it came, came to fruition and throughout the campaign. Wow. I'm, I'm just feeling better after that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, there's so much we can do, but you're so right, right? It, it really is not all or nothing. Like if you only ran campaigns that you knew you were going to win, it's like, like, what's the, What's the point of that? You're not actually introducing anything new to the to the conversation, right? Like mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders lost, but realistically, he kind of won because he moved the Overton window further left than it's been moved in in decades. And, and we so did to start see, getting wins, right? Like right, that's yeah, the difference too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's something that on Delaware state level, like we won. So there were seven of us that were running on the working family slate, all running on like very progressive aligned um, platforms. And of the seven, five won, one at the city level in Wilmington and four at our state government level. Like that is huge for a state like Delaware. Like four is a really big number to be sending in that are all really committed to these progressive values. One of them knocked out the leader of our Senate, like who had been in office since before I was born and hadn't been challenged since 1986. Like people should care about Delaware. Like I know I've said this before, but like we set usury laws that affect your credit card rate, like interest rates. We set business laws, like things matter. Pretty much every business, everybody who's ever worked for- yeah. Everybody who's listening to this podcast, everybody that every business they've worked for is like headquartered in Delaware because right, of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like your and check comes from Delaware. Exactly. And there's reasons like that you should care about our state legislature if you live in this country, period, because those laws are set here. Those business laws, the court, those usury laws, like all of that is what leads to a lot of the ways that businesses operate in our state, in our country, rather. So so that's a huge win too. So what you're saying is just because the A's were eliminated by the Houston Astros, it wasn't a loss, right? It was it was about the journey. 
just because yeah. just because you don't <laughs> just because you don't win the World Series the, the, doesn't <laughs> the real ALCS was the friends you made along the way, Alex. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm just yeah. trying to cope. That's no, all. Well, I, I was going to say I, now I that understand. you mentioned the A's, you know, speaking of you grew up in California most of your life, Alex. I live in California now. I mean, if you only ever ran campaigns that you knew were going to win, you'd be most of California's Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, well, we have a lot of problems here, too. It's not this, yeah. you know, ideal paradise world that everybody likes to think it is because it just goes blue all the time. Like, that is a very astute point and a, a very real and encouraging thing to hear you say, Jess. So thank you for that. Um, listen, listen to Jess and primary nancy pelosi that's uh, i think my california if you're listening to this podcast primary nancy pelosi i mean it's happening i don't know how it's going to turn out in november but i think there's there's places that you can be strategic and and pick people off and and start to kind of build and i think that's that's the the lesson that we should take and i think that's you know even though we didn't win here in delaware i think that's an important strategy is like find these solidly blue places where you can invest maybe not as much money as you might have to in other like statewide races, which can require millions and millions of dollars and start to pick people off there. We'll see. I think we can make it happen. (laughs) Okay. Shall we talk about baseball, Jess? Yeah, let's do it. Are you ready to talk about baseball? So I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you hadn't had a ton of time to watch regular season baseball. So what we, what we ask you to do is to come with a few (laughs) takeaways that you've, you've, learned from postseason baseball thus far and um things that you've enjoyed things that you've been surprised by so with that i turn it over to you um what are we talking about what's going on yeah so you're right i basically watched almost no regular season baseball and now i've watched at least part of every single postseason game so i've really gone from zero to 60 um i think where i wanted to start was i wanted to talk about the bracket as a concept because I'm kind of torn. At first, I was like, I absolutely would not like this in a non-pandemic season because I think you play 162 games, you win your division, and then you still have to play like a wild card round. Seems awful. But then I also was kind of like, I don't know, really mixes it up. (laughs) (laughs) So I kept, I was really torn. And I I think I'm still landing on the idea that like in a non-pandemic season, this seems kind of like, I don't know. There's no reason to try to win the division if this yeah. is what would happen. Mm-hmm. But I was just kind of curious. I don't know if you guys have talked about that at all. Um, but that that's something that I've been kind of going back and forth on in my own head. We have talked about it, Alex. I don't think we've given it quite a quite any credence, really. We've been critical of it in the in for the reason that you mentioned, in that um 162 games is a lot. Why then? parrot that into a three-game series that can you know decide the Dodgers fate um Alex do you have any positive feelings about the bracket I mean we did discuss it a little bit last week well you're right Jess in that like in this year like maybe this is the the postseason baseball that we deserve and that like fits everything else best (laughs) you know like and I and I don't even mean that in a bad way necessarily I'm kind of like you know 2020 is so turned on its head anyway. Sure, give me the Marlins in the playoffs. That's yeah. that's kind of fun. It does like there's an element of chaos there and unpredictability that 
you know, we we literally don't get in any yeah. other. Uh, but this it's year just, warrants. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's just Yankees and Dodgers and Astro. Well, I guess that's what happens this year too. But that happens every other well, year. So at was, least we got the Marlins. Well, and that's where I kind of started. That's what introduced me being torn about it because it sort of worked out mostly the way that it would have had those teams not played those wild card that wild yep. card round. So I was like. Again, maybe that's a fluke. It's an N of one. I'm not trying to be completely swayed by <laughs> this one weird season. But <laughs> that I was surprised that there weren't like major upsets there. Well, like, I right? think that you and Rob Manfred are on the same page. I think <laughs> Rob Manfred is looking oh, at it. and I, I, well, <laughs> Tough page to be on. I think yeah. that Rob Manfred is looking at it and being like, what I mean, everything that you guys were complaining about didn't happen. The Dodgers didn't get eliminated. The Yankees didn't get eliminated. We're fine, everyone. Right. I think it's a fluke, though. I mean, like, and I think that some of the teams that got in probably, like, I mean, it goes back to the, when everyone was, like, clowning on Trevor Bauer for being like, what do you mean? The NL Central's great. Which time? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Like, and realizing that maybe some of these teams, because they played a limited set of teams for the whole year, didn't really deserve the rankings that they had. But I don't know. I, I don't think that it makes sense in a full season, but it was kind of interesting that it seemed to not, I don't know, eliminate teams that probably should be there. I think it could be tweaked and work. And I think that 16 teams is too many when you only have 30 teams. I think 16 would work if you had 32 teams. Um, but I think there's a way to rig it so that it's like you have 12 teams in the playoffs as opposed to 10, and then the top however many advance top one the top seed in each league advance with a buy or whatever whatever you need to do to make it work and um you make the first round of the wild card round five games instead of three games yeah. because three games it's like you could get the best team in the league could get swept oh, yeah. in a three game yeah. series I don't like it. <laughs> and that's just that's a little ridiculous so yeah. i think if we make it five games who says no to more baseball you only have 12 teams again so it's not like you have to really you know, squeeze it Extend in and you won't it, make it yeah. into all of October. So I don't know. I think I agree with you in that there was like an energy to the bracket. I think it was total and utter bullshit when Rob Manfred <laughs> was like, this is, this is our March madness. It's like, Rob, <laughs> have you ever actually watched March madness? It's complete chaos. Like the reason everyone loves that first week is because like insane things happen. <laughs> And like, yeah. mostly you don't want that to happen after you've played again a whole season, um, and kind of and, all, and also they're at. like they're like it's one game, right? Like baseball just does not have no. that kind of absolute chaos, especially if it's going to be a three year or five game series or whatever. It's just it's different. Right. They are the correlation is not there. Well, and even if you were going to try to draw that correlation, why wouldn't you use the same structure that? the NCAA uses now where there's basically play-in games where the bracket gets set with like people being essentially protected, like being like, you know, you're through to the second round, quote unquote, which everyone used to know is the first round. I can't, and, I can't get used to that. And I won't I get used to that. I, yeah. I'm the one of those people that's just like, it's the round with this many teams. It's yeah, the round the with number. this many yeah, teams. Yeah. Yeah, the round of 64. 64. Yeah. But at least then maybe you could have like, yeah, shrunk it down to a fewer number of teams and given these teams that maybe shouldn't have been there a chance to kind of break in like a traditional wild card. The fact that they put every team in this wild card round, just I don't I don't like that. Yeah, I just like in basketball where that 
you know, you can't get used to the the changing of the terminology for the rounds. The the fact that everyone played in a wild card game just makes just, absolutely no sense. Definitionally, it's, it's not that's, possible. That's just not a wild card game. They're like, this is the wild card round. And you're like, that's not what that means. Right. Nope. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right. So that was where I kind of wanted to start because I really have been debating it this whole time. Like at moments, I'm like, all right, there's I kind of get what they mean, but like it's risky. And I think I I totally agree that three games was not again, it worked out, but it seemed dangerous. And you would have people really pissed off if like the Dodgers just dropped two games and didn't (laughs) were out in the first round. So, yeah, I think I think think they mostly skated by. I think lastly on that, and then and then we'll move on to your second one. But I think you would really start to see a deterioration of this if we start to play full seasons with it. Yeah, because like I don't know why anyone would pay attention to between games eighty and one forty-five. Right, they're just not important anymore because all of the team by games eighty-five, you're gonna know which teams are probably gonna make it based on how much distance they've put between them and like the Royals. You know. Right. them and who could theoretically catch them and that only worked this season because basically everybody was in it until the last week including yeah. even you know the Mets and the Phillies <laughs> and like several games under 500 like yeah. <laughs> heading into oh. the final weekend and it's like okay yeah. um okay Jess on to number two what else do you okay. have for us um one thing that I again it seemed to work out but it could not have was it feels like decisions that were made by MLB actually seem to influence gameplay. So the decision to have no days off, have no travel days, like really dramatically changed the way pitchers were used, I think. And it seemed like some teams like didn't have enough pitchers or didn't have enough pitchers that they could trust. And that, again, like it, it feels a little bit like this whole thing is just like this weird we're in this weird test lab of like trying to see like decisions that the league makes, how they influence the decisions that then managers have to make or players have to make. Um, And again, it was one of those things where it it didn't seem to dramatically affect outcomes, but it feels like it could have. And and the one that really like stuck with me and maybe it's a little bit of recency effect, but like starting Glasnow in game five against the Yankees, he's on two days rest. He gives you like, what, two and a third innings. And then you have to piece together like almost another seven innings with your bullpen. Hope you don't have any extras. Like it it really was, it seems like it could have really blown up. And then it would have been the only thing we were talking about is like the way that people were using pitchers, but it didn't. And I was, I don't know. I thought that was something that kind of hit me is like, we're seeing relievers or like people who were closers sort of for the race, like, you know, (laughs) Yeah. There, were, there was a bunch of them, but like coming yeah. in in the third inning of that game and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> this is like another new way to play, I guess. But it seems like it was more forced than ex- like the, the managers trying to experiment or like outsmart the other team. A- Alex, you want to take this one? Because I know like the A's had a little bit of trouble with this also because like the starting pitching was not necessarily there. And to stay alive in games three and four, they really had to lean on their best relievers. And then by game five, it's like, well, a lot of these guys are not available. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what was actually interesting to me about this is that we literally didn't talk about pitching at all this postseason, right? Like, to your point, Jess, like, it totally could have blown up. And I feel like 
every other postseason, we're like so upset about like how pitchers are being used. This isn't baseball. No one wants to see this. And it was kind of the same thing this year where pitchers were, you know, like whatever the hell the Padres were doing in their, you know, in their game five, right? Nine like, innings, nine pitchers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which like in any other year that like that feeds two or three weeks of like a conversation, you know? Yes. And just because everything else is so bonkers right now, I feel like it did kind of get um, pushed aside. In the in the case of the A's, um, turns out you need starting pitchers if you want to win more more baseball games. It's usually it's usually helpful that way. Yeah, I would make the claim that the Yankees Rays game actually blew up in the Yankees' face, Jess. So the Rays You're were right. ready. Like this is their <laughs> mo. They fuck with this stuff all the time. They do the opener. They they bullpen games all the time. They're their relievers go multiple innings at a time regularly throughout the season. And so they're not surprised when they're asked to do that. And then the Yankees, they, they had these like shenanigans in game two that had a lot of people had a lot of takes about where they pitched Davey Garcia as the opener and then brought in right. Jay Happ as like, like the long second. man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to like switch that raise lineup and like get lefty on lefty. Um, and we don't need to relitigate that because that's, this is not the podcast for that, but I think, like by, it worked. <laughs> I think by, I think by, Game five, um, they didn't really have a plan because they brought in Aroldis Chapman to get seven outs, which is a lot of outs for Aroldis Chapman to get. And, you know, thankfully it blew up in his face because we don't <laughs> want to see success for that guy. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> We're all just like, ha <laughs> I will say, I think that like, I think that it did actually have an effect on the Yankees and they did run out of pitchers. Yeah. Um, but you're totally right in that. I think, MLB and, and Rob Manfred like fancies himself as like a disruptor to the team's <laughs> strategies. You know, like he doesn't want to let the teams be dictating the gameplay. He wants to come in and disrupt it. And I think the last four or five postseasons, teams have gotten comfortable with their strategy of stretching their good starters as far as they can possibly go. Their good two or three starters. And we saw this with the Nationals last year, um, as far as they can possibly go, and then piecing it piecing the rest together, you know, using starters in long relief on their throw day and these kinds of things. And I think that Manfred was just like, let's, what if we just try to take that away Yeah, and see what happens? And I don't think that that's fair or good <laughs> or even like suited to the best viewing experience. Most of the things that MLB does is not suited to the best viewing experience. Well, and that's, yeah, it feels like you, you, the criticism that they're maybe trying to solve, again, I don't think they're ever really trying to solve problems that exist, but like you might be like, well, nobody wants to see the same three pitchers just pitch over and over again in the postseason. So how do we make sure that they can't? Yeah. <laughs> Counterpoint. I think I saw Alex like well up in tears of happiness when Clayton Kershaw came in to save a playoff game once. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I feel like I, I'm throwing a bunch of just like things that flew through my mind as I was watching that I don't really have like a definitive position on, but I think that I'm looking at them, both the bracket and this like no days off thing and just being like, I don't want the the league to learn the wrong lessons from this. <laughs> and I don't know what the right lessons are. They almost are. certainly will learn the wrong <laughs> lessons. Like we're <laughs> almost 
<laughs> I know. Guaranteed that they will. Yeah. 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 You're the, the they could have and probably should have blown up, right? All these decisions that they make yeah. they made. And the fact that they didn't <laughs> I know, it's gonna be means <laughs> that we're going to see all of these things down the road. Like we're gonna see the exact same bracket structure next year with no days off, and it's it's gonna be terrible. Right. And then also, yeah, throw no days off in again after playing a full real season, like and it also weirdly seems to mess up scheduling. Like, did we have two weekends in a row where there wasn't a Saturday game? Like, yeah. well, I literally went looking for one yesterday and was like, what am I supposed to do? Well, I <laughs> like, think, like, why I mean, don't we have TV baseball ratings. on the weekends? That's TV ratings, brain, though. Like, they're afraid to go against college football. They're afraid to go against NFL on Sunday. And Ugh, it's, yeah. it shows. They're, they're yeah. like, they're also, I mean, I think they're also mindful of the fact that, like, this is an important year and this they've pitched this year as like the year that baseball is going to make a return into the American consciousness. Like America (laughs) needed something to watch and baseball is going to be there. And obviously like they screwed around and tried to take enough back from the players and the negotiations that they actually weren't the first sport back or like they weren't really the first sport with a plan to come back, even though they came back like a week before the the NBA. Um, I don't know. I think that that, 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 sort of speaks to why there wasn't any games on the weekends but no days off to not even tell the teams that far ahead of time just seems like poor management and it's not like leave the fans out of this it just seems un- unfair to the actual teams like the the yeah. executives around the league the players all of the people that make up this product that you have it doesn't seem right to me yeah it feels like it's like intentionally trying to if not put a thumb on the scale, like throw a wrench with intentionality to be like, ooh, what are you going to do now? And I think that some teams were able to handle it and some weren't. And maybe had, the, I don't know that things would have changed or what they would have done differently if they knew that earlier on. Like maybe it changes the players that you're carrying or something, but like it, it does feel like it was sort of intentional. <laughs> To be like, we're going to mix things up. Yeah. Well, it's so the fact that all of the changes that MLB made usually came about a week. The announcement came about a week before it was implemented. Unlike the playoff structure came two hours into game one, we heard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Like, you guys had like three months to work on this. What the hell were you doing when there was literally no baseball? They were in a rain delay in the first game of the season when we, when MLB put out the press release that there was going to be 16 teams in the playoffs. Right. Right. Uh, And well, yeah. And then we actually, hold on now. I'm what was the other weird weather thing they did this a few weeks ago? Seven inning double header. That's it. Yes. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. What was the other thing? Uh, That was was actually so funny to me that, like, the rules that applied to the regular season all of a sudden just changed for the playoffs. (laughs) They were like, okay, no more, uh, you know, runner runner on second in extra innings. I was asking that. I was, like, watching a game and I was like, wait a minute. Is that gone? Like, right. I, like, I had to like Google it. I was like, what happened? Yeah, you've inherently undermined the entire regular season by not doing it in the playoffs because you're not doing it in the playoffs because it affects competition. But doesn't that mean that it also affected competition in the regular season? Weird. <laughs> yeah. It just, no. I, I mean, I think it's funny because like they changed one rule and then there's this outcry because baseball fans are such traditionalists and 
I think even Alex and I are traditionalists in a way, even though we talk about well, the game very Well, now I feel like I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like conditioned to be, right? Because like this is, it's been around for so long and not that much has changed about the game. And they changed one thing. And then when the outcry bounces back to Rob, he's like, I'm also changing this other thing. It's like really classic deflecting. And yeah. he's like, then I'm going to change this other rule. By the way, there are 16 teams in the playoffs. By the way, seven inning doubleheaders. <laughs> By the way, we're managing the coronavirus resp- response very well. By the way, <laughs> I'm going to blow up the CBA next year. And it's just like, I don't even know what to pin you down on right no, now. It's very chaotic. And it, it puts everyone in a sort of reactive place where like, you're just like what you're unclear on what's even going on or what you should be reacting to. And maybe that is um, helpful to them. because it's Certainly one political strategy. The, right. Exactly. I'm like, hmm, this sounds familiar. Like we're, I mean, you know, half the, half the fan base is, angry about one thing a quarter's mad about something else a quarter another quarter's mad about something else so they can't come together and be mad at you about one thing so nothing gets yeah. changed <laughs> i mean my head has been spinning this whole season that i'm just like tired of critiquing rob manfred which right. i mean i guess at this whoa, point whoa, whoa, whoa. don't let he the won. listeners know that he that's won. why they come here bro <laughs> no he beat us all yeah. down he won right exactly <laughs> i'm worn out i'm like all right fine <laughs> no and you're right it it was complete like done in a way that just sort of sowed chaos where you're just like, I don't even know what the rules of this game are right now. So it made me feel like I'm one of those like weird traditional play the game the right way people. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> I didn't think <laughs> I this is who I was. It. I don't but care. Now I, am, I, I think guess. we should not change shit like this. I don't know. <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm fine with, I think I'm more fine with, again, as I've sat with my feelings on this, I'm like, I'm fine with the players changing the game in a sense like I'm fine with the players doing what they want on the field within the rules of the game to get an advantage when the league itself starts like tweaking things that's what I react to very negatively to so what you're saying is we should take a literal interpretation of the constitution (laughs) then sure (laughs) the rules just don't ever change the rules just change the interpretation I think you have to I think you have to um change the rules in a more democratic fashion um I would say like I don't think that there should just be like a single authoritarian body that gets to decide what the rule changes are (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I love like the one the the most prominent instance of what you're talking about like players and teams changing the way uh, that they play the game is the shift and like oh my god and like <laughs> that go. is also then <laughs> the thing that people want to ban I'm like hang on so you're fine with the entire structure of the game being right. changed but as soon as the players try and gain a competitive advantage we're like Outlaw it. Right. I'm like, yeah. I, the, there's a disconnect here. No, absolutely. I think Rob Manfred's entire platform is like reactionary politics, but also I will continue to make owners money. Like, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to react to everything that A-Rod says on the air, and I'm going to be like, this is a problem I must fix. And then also I'm going to secure billion-dollar TV deals because local TV stations need to put sports on the air for 24 hours a day. Yeah, well, if you distract the fan base with dumb, reactive things that they can yell about on the internet, and you you can continue to use your quiet time where they're not really bothering you to make billionaires more money, hmm, seems to work. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, and yet, we keep coming back, right? I know, so I know. <laughs> I'm he part sees of the it problem. as a win. Finger it. right on the, the pulse of the American consciousness. MLB has exactly. their finger right on exactly. The pulse. I'm seeing a real uh, um, parallel universe here. from... Okay, <laughs> Jess, what's number three? Um, okay, I've got a few places to go. I again, I didn't watch regular season baseball, but I guess it wouldn't have mattered because I would have not seen 
Randy or Rosalind to play at all anyway, but I've become completely obsessed with him, which I recognize everyone has, and this is not, like, a out-of-the-norm take, but, like, completely obsessed. Like, I I watched, I think, the very first game, I, or maybe it was game two, where he had, like, three hits and in three innings or something. I was watching, and I was just like, who is this person? Because <laughs> again, I had no idea of what had happened like during the season or honestly, a lot of even like player moves that happened late last year or into this year, I just had no idea where people were. So I just got like very obsessive about like figuring out who he was and then continued to really enjoy watching him. So that was like a real upside for me. And I think a lot of people, frankly. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are learning that the the Rays actually have a good amount of fun interesting players that yes. no one has ever heard of before. <laughs> no. And that's cool. It's very Rays. Yes. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about how they how they got to that point um, and the, you know, the ethics of that. But the <laughs> result is... <laughs> the result is actually relatively enjoyable. Yeah. You're very right. Yes. I think that the thing that I underrated about Rosa Arena and, you know, other players in the Rays, Brett Phillips, there was the video of those two dancing, the, the dance-off after they won against the yeah. Yankees. And I think that the thing I underrated was that they are, like, fun. You know, they have, like, a vibrance to the way that they play the game because there is this sheen of, um, I don't know, like, like, corporate consulting over the entire, like, Rays franchise to me that is that is pretty distasteful because there is almost no way that most of these guys are going to be on the team in three years. Like as soon as they get good enough to get right. paid, they're going to some other franchise that's going to, that the Rays are banking are going to, is going to overpay them and give them a prospect that they don't even know how to scout their own prospects right. by. So I, a specifically is very interesting because he's just primary bonds right now and nobody could get him out. And he was like this, you know, this Cardinals prospect, that the Rays identified and traded for. And, you know, the Cardinals are not some bum organization who like can't scout their own prospects. Like they, they are one of the best prospect development organizations in baseball. And it's amazing that the Rays continue to do this. And I wonder if it'll ever run out, but yeah, I think a Rosarita is very fun. He's got a lot of energy out there and, Almost nobody knew him before the season. Also, nobody knows how to say his last. A lot of people don't know how to say his last name. I know. Like, I think I'm saying it right, but I'm still like, <laughs> um, it's very Asian, Alex. Yeah. Where like they just have all of these guys come up, and you're like, sure, I guess Mark Hanna's having a six four year this year, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jake Lamb, who was hitting like literally a hundred with the Diamondbacks comes over and like just is able to replace Matt Chapman. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm sure you're not going to do anything unethical with, with this, but, <laughs> right. but yeah, it's like, I, it feels so weird watching it because on the one hand, I'm like, yes, there's the sheen of something is amiss here, right? Like you, there's a, there's a, a level of exploitation and an unwillingness to pay players that has, that has gotten this team to this moment. But at the same time, I I don't want to hold that against the players, right? right or like right. the like I still really enjoy watching the the result. And so it's like internally I feel very conflicted. Um and it's it's moments in watching guy, you know guys named Randy 
just absolutely rake. And guys named Yandy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that that I'm just kind of like, okay, I can I can put my qualms to the side to, to the side for a second. It's also like a Rosarita specifically is an interesting case because he came over in the trade along with Jose Martinez, who is a semi-fave of the pod, Alex, because of his obsession with caffeine, coffee, <laughs> and uh, his wonderful nickname, Cafecito. But we were all like, why are the Rays trading for Jose Martinez, this guy who's a terrible defender? They don't really have a spot for him at DH necessarily, except against lefties. And it just didn't really make a lot of sense. And then you find out that like a Rosarito was attached to it, and they probably just made the trade to get him and right. to maybe plug in Martinez from time to time against left-handed pitchers. And it's like, okay, they're playing, you know, six-dimensional chess, and we're all just, like, watching baseball, enjoying ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, but do you think it runs out at any point? Do you think, like, th- this is where I, I am kind of interested to see how it plays out for them longer term, I guess. Because when you do that thing where you try to take advantage of players when they're cheap and then refuse to pay them, like, can you actually win doing that? And I guess maybe we'll see that this year but can you do it more than once is it a long-lasting strategy and i don't know and i i I don't want that to be again like what every other team starts trying to do because i think once Mm -hmm. once you have a few teams trying that strategy it's going to it's not going to work anyway because there won't be enough people there won't be people willing to move players (laughs) so that people can kind of find that that value but I don't know. I'm interested to see how it actually works for them. Yeah. I mean, that's been the knock on the A's for the last two decades, basically, right? right? Is that their shit doesn't work in the playoffs, right? Like, you can find all these hidden gems, sure, that, you know, that you pulled off the the scrap heap. (laughs) But when you're going up against a team that's willing to spend $150, $200 million and has legitimate stars they want to play, like... I don't know. It's kind of like the scales are are never in your favor. Yeah. I think there's a really big difference between the Rays and the A's, though, in that the A's seem to do this a lot with position players, and the Rays are doing it with position players right now. We talked about a Rosarena. There's a bunch of other guys on this roster, Willie Adamas, a lot of undervalued guys who are really good. But the Rays also do it with their pitching staff, and the A's never really have seemed to figure that out since they had the trio of Mulder, Zito, and Hudson. Like They haven't really had a bona fide pitching staff since then, and I think in the playoffs, you really, we talked about this earlier, like yeah. whether you're going every day or not, you really have to have guys out there like throwing quality innings. And the Rays have that in their rotation, obviously. You mentioned Glass now, Jess. And they have that in their bullpen. They just have a stable of dudes, not to not to make a Kevin Cash joke, but they have a stable of guys who throw 98 and with nasty movement and everything. And I don't, I have no idea why that is. I don't know if that's their pitcher development. I don't know if they're just much better at scouting pitchers who are going to be great in that specific role that they use them in i personally think that this is this is all bullshit like i even if the rays win it this year like i think this is not a sustainable way of winning i think it's bad for the game i don't like it i mean alex and i got to a semi-argument about yankees versus rays about who we were rooting for to see <laughs> advance and <laughs> we don't, yeah well, it's a you tough don't feel one. good about really either choice there <laughs> <laughs> right but i think that this idea that small payroll and is like this hurdle to overcome and it like then births ingenuity and creativity, I think is such bullshit. Like there's only 30 yeah. baseball teams. We're not talking about like someone 
some entrepreneur inventing something in their basement here. It's like we're playing well, fucking exactly. baseball. And that's like, what I was just going to say. It's like another way of this like startupization of Major League Baseball. We're like you're earlier. We're calling like how Manfred wants to be a disruptor, and like everybody's trying to like find that competitive advantage, which I totally get. But the way that it also intersects with budgets and trying not to spend money is like really kind of gross. And it's like it really it feels like the exact same things we're fighting in like a broader economy, like being like, oh, yeah, gig workers are just being abused. And you're like, OK, so if you if you only invest in or not even invest, if you only use these sort of you, you find these cheap players and then get rid of them as soon as they're going to be too expensive for you. Like you're sort of exploiting them, right? You're never actually yeah. paying them for the value that they gave you. And that's. I hate to see how that's like kind of taking over the league. It feels like. Well, and I think yeah. what the Rays do is only possible What the Rays and the A's frankly do is only possible because of 25 other teams who just have agreed to play with one hand tied behind their back behind their back because they don't want to play pay players either. Yeah. Like if only the Yankees and Red Sox and Dodgers and the occasional fourth team in a big market who decides to spend for a five year window are going to spend. Well, then every other team is, playing with a hand tied behind their back just like the Rays are and guess what the Rays are better at playing with a hand tied behind their back but if all of the other 24 teams are like actually no we're just going to sign all of the good players and not let you get these good players on the cheap well then the Rays are like kind of beat and they have to spend competitively and obviously their owners have proven that they quote unquote can't do that (laughs) so So you could could take their advantage away from them if you started paying people Like collectivism, collectivism. (laughs) You could be like, "Oh, we're going to destroy the Rays (laughs) by paying." I think we fucking should destroy the Rays, destroy the Rays, and destroy the A's. (laughs) Sorry, Alex. Hurtful, hurtful. (laughs) Yeah, it does hurt. I mean, it kind of sounds like you guys are um, suggesting collusion. I think is how um, that no, no, almost no. like, like maybe the, by just, not colluding. It's just, like <laughs> you're colluding to stop colluding. Yes. What would you even call that? I don't know. Right. You're colluding to hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, so then my other thing about Arena that came out like this past week or whatever was like them talking about what he did while he was. I had COVID and like, which is doing pushups like all day long. It, I, I'm like, this can't be real. Like this cannot be how this first, like they're just basically being like, yeah, he got COVID and just ate chicken and rice and did 300 pushups a day. So then he became an amazing hitter. And I'm just like, who is coming? Like who's pushing that narrative is really my question. Like who decided that was going to be what they went with around why suddenly he came back in like August or whatever. and was like yeah. able to destroy pitching. Yeah. That oh, that's the the COVID narrative like oh throughout the playoffs. I was have been say the same thing, yeah. <laughs> unbearable. You know, like like when it comes to the Marlins talking about how they overcame this adversity to be <laughs> this here and we should thing they gave themselves. <laughs> right, exactly. This thing that never should have happened. Right. And potentially has, you know, damaged the the long-term health of some of their players is like it's just a hurdle they had to overcome. And now they're now they're here, just, you know, doing the damn thing. And I'm like, this, this all could <laughs> But have <been> Alex, <laughs> it's so funny that that Jack Flaherty was in his hotel room throwing throwing off of a bed that was 
leaned up against the wall, bro. Yeah, what the fuck? Like, don't these all just seem made up? They just seem yeah. like these weird, like, propaganda stories of being like, no, 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 this was actually good. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> no, not good. <laughs> okay, Jess, I think we're up to your, what, your fourth one? Okay, I know. I'm sort of... However many my, you have This is where left, my list gets it. a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I think get, I have... Get as weird as you okay, want. Okay, I'm going to get weird here. <laughs> we can um, do some this, quick hitters. This has nothing to do with baseball, <laughs> but I am very psyched that flow is making its way back into the game because hockey had been really enjoying great hair for many, many years, and I'm really excited to see... <laughs> that people are rocking the long hair again. For the longest time, we really only had, what, like McCutcheon? And then he cut his hair, and we've gone years and years without really impressive flow. And I'm just really happy it's back. And I hope that Tyler, people Tyler continue. Tyler Glasno, baby. Yeah. And like, <laughs> literal, literal so model. So, oh, I know, it's absurd. There was like a point where I was watching the game, and I just was like, he's absurdly good looking. <laughs> but no, I mean, Dustin May is doing something interesting. Uh, like Certainly. Luke Voigt. I mean, it's just very interesting. So that was something that I was like, huh, this is, I'm glad this is back and I hope it continues. Was, was DeGrom cutting his hair the end of a, a, a mini flow era, Alex, <gasps> when he cut his hair off? And McCutcheon was, cut his hair was, off? I don't know if it was yeah. the same year, but... It was like coming back and then they destroyed it. And now I think it's coming back with a vengeance. Yeah. Well, this is, I, you know, we talk about the Yankees and I'm like, this oh is a big God. sicking point with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah it's it's like the ridiculously <laughs> regressive stance they have on flow. And I'm like, just let players grow their hair out. This yeah. is such a, there's no reason that this rule should still exist within your organization. It's kind of amazing that they're like, it, it's hanging on. Yeah, because like, everyone makes fun. I of I don't it. think we talk enough about it. Frankly, like, it's like maybe that's what not. it is. Maybe that's what it is. We have to be like this is. We have to talk about how more r- ridiculous this is more because. But the, it capa- really I mean, the capacity for shame for the Yankees is like so low. They are in their own little world. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, true. I think was it, was it on this podcast, Alex, that Michael Bauman compared the Yankees to the Royal Air Force because <laughs> you can't have <laughs> hair or facial hair. <laughs> Well, it feels like that. It definitely feels like militaristic in a way where it's sort of or um, also trying to just like it feels like a really old school way that a coach would decide that like this is how we become a team, not individuals. Mm -hmm. We completely destroy any of our uniqueness and we make ourselves look exactly like each other. And that's how we become a team. That's what it feels like to me. Well, the flips, I mean, the flip side of that coin is that we did a we did an episode of this podcast interviewing the director of um, a, a documentary called Koshin, Japan's Field of Dreams, and Ryan Yamazaki directed it. And in that documentary, it's about the Japanese high school baseball tournament, and they all have to shave their heads. I mean, it's not like a law or anything, but every team has this rule that they have to shave their heads completely because you don't, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to have time thinking about your hair because then you should be thinking about getting better at baseball. I mean, that's like literally the stated reason. I think it's slightly different with the Yankees. I think it is more of what you're talking about, where it's like we're it's a this like sheen of professionalism, this sheen yeah, of like we're right. all part of this collective, and you just don't show up to play, put the pinstripes on when you have a beard. Right? How oh could God. you? Like <laughs> yeah. Mickey Mantle's rolling over in his grave. Right. But but like I don't know. It's all there is so much progressive thinking in baseball, and I think that this is like one of the cultural examples of that yeah, rather than like yeah. it's not like doing any real harm but like right. it is kind of contributing to the harm 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in Japan, it's so different, right? Because like, it's just a radically different culture in general and within baseball of like team above self, right? Like, like you talk about Jess, it's like, it is about creating this kind of like this one character, right? Like monolith, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. Um, and here it's just like, we just want to have exert one more level of control over our players yeah. Yeah. that ultimately is like kind of racist and <laughs> well, yeah, is exactly. a it's a, it's a holdover <laughs> from like like I'm I'm actually really curious about the history behind this like when it started you know um it's like the same because, thing where like if you show up for a job interview and you don't have a blazer on like you're just immediately you don't get the job like no matter how well yeah. you do in the interview it's like it's that same yeah. thinking like it's those weird that same american yeah. way of yeah. like proving that you can be a professional and like show right. up but like but like what is professionalism right like who decided like that's what professional was i don't know it's yeah, like exactly. we heteronormative like, exactly. <laughs> like exactly. yeah all of the stuff that's wrong with baseball yeah right like so well i mean can the yankees ever have a female bench coach like how long could her hair, could her hair be? Like what? <laughs> like I'm curious. I, I would I would guess the Yankees have never actually thought that far. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, Luke Luke Voigt is pushing he's, the envelope he's pushing on it. that, but in yes. a very like tame, like my dad in the '80s way. So right. I feel like that's why he's able to get get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Bring back flow. We like flow in baseball. I, I think it's great. Out and you're, ta- you're on the podcast the with two people who played baseball with a lot of flow. I mean, Alex and I were the <laughs> oh, typical really? middle school middle school boys with like the long hair, right, Alex? You kept Stop yours all it. the way through. Oh, it was like it was like down to here. Yeah, mine was like down to my shoulders to the, too. What? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. need photos of those. <laughs> <laughs> my please, please hat, make them the the show photo for this week. My, <laughs> <laughs> my hat photo, used to fall off while pitching because I had too much hair. <laughs> So like on the delivery, the hat would fall just off, just flop off. Because the then like as the later innings came by, as the later later innings would come around, you know the hair would get a little bit sweaty, like it would stick better. Yeah, so then the hat down. wouldn't fall yeah, off yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's nice. the that's the thing they don't tell you about having long hair while playing baseball. It's kind kind of gross, yeah, <laughs> kind of oh, yeah. not fun. I mean, every sport I've played, I've had long hair, so I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, <laughs> not great. Okay, what else is on the list? Anything right. else? So I've got. One more, and it's another place where I'm sort of like, I get it, but I really miss fans. (laughs) Mm. I really didn't think, and I think the way that they've handled it has been pretty bad. The cardboard cutouts are just terrible. Like, I know that we don't have the benefit of the way that the NBA sort of structured their courts, so you could have this kind of like cool video board and it make it seem a little more interactive. And, and I think you could even argue that maybe those were distracting and weird too. But I, the the thing that's really gotten to me was just like I know they tried to do the fake crowd noise, but it's such a miss. And you just, it's like so inorganic. Like you completely, I miss that moment where like the crowd reacts. And then it ends up being a pop out or something. And like, there's that moment of swell and then it turns to a groan and like, they just can't recreate that. So I I think that that has been like this little thing that's missing, like while you're watching these games. Um, But now I think the fact that they're bringing fans in for these final games seems insane. (laughs) So I'm just like, what again, what are we doing? Like why were, what made cardboard cutouts the only option a week ago, 
that now we can bring in a quarter of the stadium and that's going to be fine. Like, I, and now pandemic's they're calling over. it. Jess, they're they're like the yeah. pandemic's over. Oh my bad, my bad. Haven't <laughs> haven't met my niece yet, but pandemic's over. My bad. Yeah, I, I just it's again, it's just like these arbitrary decisions that just seem like, well, then why did we do the thing that we did for the last X amount of time? And it, it I don't know. It also just comes back to again, like, man, we have missed out on like so much in this year, and I'm just so frustrated with like outside of baseball, just the, the, the way that this has all been handled. And the fact that instead of like actually solving the problem, we just keep trying to find ways to like work around it and like live with a pandemic (laughs) and sort of start to ignore the fact that it exists rather than actually solve the problem. So it really, it kind of got me down this like existential (laughs) conversation with myself of just like, man, we should not, we should not even be here. And even as it seems like so many states are having a resurgence because so many people want to go back to quote unquote normal. They're actually introducing fans. And I think that just seems like, again, like an arbitrary decision that I think rightfully people are criticizing just as like, well, they want to make money or they want to like do things that benefit themselves and not actually keep people safe. Yeah. And it's, it really sucks because it would be so awesome to have fans here seeing all the awesome things that are happening this but to have fans watching Fernando Tatis Jr just do his thing yes. that yeah was the one. exactly the two yeah. home run Tatis game yes. yeah absolutely and, or That's and when the, it hit me, the like, Bellinger catch right like I, oh, my. oh my god that so, was the moment <laughs> yeah exactly because I'm like the roar it, from the fans would have been a, massive and then when the deafening. catch happened it would have just been such a letdown <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's especially weird when they show like highlights you know from like years past and i'm like oh that's right there did used to be people here Mm -hmm. watching the game (laughs) and now and now it's yeah just shots of weird cardboard cutouts which i think no one likes i've i have been like watching the games with people who don't necessarily like or watch baseball and they will see that and they're like, what the hell is this? What the, what, why are there cardboard cutouts? It looks like something like a middle school would do. It's so odd. And they really committed to it. And then they've like filled even more sections with them. (laughs) Especially now that they're not playing in their own home park. So it's like, here are some Dodgers fans cheering for, uh, wait, checks notes. A's Astros. It's like, (laughs) wait, what? I, you're, you're right in identifying that like, this new this new normal idea it, whoever said that first it, they fucked up because the new normal and like getting used to the pandemic the concept of like just accepting the hand you were dealt and not doing anything about it right. when like we the people with the power can do something about it and just have chosen not to it is sort of like so emblematic of all of these other problems that we have where it's like right. this is the new normal we have to live with like this is the space that we exist in and you just kind of have to accept it and go back to your lives. Like Americans, that that glove fits on that hand very know, nicely. We're so good you know? at that. It's infuriating. It really like, is. It, and it, I know, and I know that like, I feel like just through the lens that I see so much of the world right now, this is where I end up. But it really does. It's like, oh, we expect so little. And like, we've just been conditioned to be like, ah, oh, well, we can get nothing from the people in power. So we just have to like learn to live with what we get. And it just, it really just hit me like, man, we are we should be able to have fans at sporting events. And instead we have these 
weird haunting cord- cardboard cutouts that are sometimes like falling over and just like, <laughs> oh, it just, it really bothered me. And it, it, like, I know they tried to make up for it with the set, the kind of din of crowd noise, but it's just, it is just sort of background noise, which is just, strange. It just reminds you that there should be crowd noise. And right. then you start thinking actively about how the crowd exactly. noise is not And then correct. especially when like you see a shot of like a long ball or something and like there's nobody there and you, but you're still hearing crowd noise and it's like very disarming and, and, and strange. I love that but. Fox just casually punted on the virtual fans for the playoffs. They were like, hey, <laughs> we tried this out during the regular season and we were kind of banking on it working and everybody made fun of us. But we couldn't we couldn't admit defeat until the playoffs when it actually mattered for money reasons. Right. That's good. This is why we should bully large corporations because <laughs> on right. the rare occasion they they just might listen to it. And they take they took the L and they just like did it. They didn't try to fight back. They just were like, you know what, you're right, they're kinda right. We should probably just stop doing this. <laughs> like, <laughs> Alex and I were talking last week on the pod about about the virtual fans thing and about um how there's gonna be and he Alex mentioned there's gonna be real fans at the World Series. They don't need virtual fans, and I posited that maybe you know, Fox did the virtual fans thing all year. They learned a lot. Maybe they should just put virtual fans in there with real fans. What do you think about <laughs> that, Jess? You're just like in between, you know, keep the oh, yeah. social distance, the but distance. make it look full. Sorry, sorry. You can't sit here. This is a virtual seat. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I really, I mean, obviously I hope people don't get sick from going to these baseball games, but I, I'm, and I haven't, I haven't read up on it but it feels like okay sure you're gonna sell seats in a way that they're distanced from one another but what happens when everyone decides to like go to the bathroom at the same time like what happens when like how are they actually managing flow of crowd through the stadium like it's it's very much like when everyone's like no 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 the beach is actually the safest place you can be and i'm like sure sure sure. when you're on the beach but what about when you're walking along the boardwalk to get there like it's like sure when you're sitting in your seat at a baseball stadium away from a bunch of other fans you're probably safe. But what about walking through the gates? What about going to the bath? Like all these places where people otherwise sort of run into each other, those are the unsafe places. And I feel like we keep ignoring that fact. Like it's this idea that once you get to the place, indoor dining is safe because we're seating you away from each other. Like the gym is safe because we've put three treadmills between each place, each one that can't be used. It's like, but what about when I'm walking through the door and I'm crossing paths with someone? Like it's, it's sort of this kind of theater of safety that I'm not really sure I believe in. And also it mostly relies on people being (laughs) compliant. Like really, we think everyone's going to wear a mask for the entire baseball game. Have you ever been to a fucking baseball game? Like you have people just stand up and throw beers on the field. It's like, (laughs) my God, wearing a mask is so much easier than not throwing a beer on the field. But I don't know. (laughs) I was watching, you know, college football yesterday and they were just showing crowd shots of just people to no one wearing a mask. And I get it. It's like, you know, dumb college students, like whatever. But like, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, we're all just kind of dumb college students <laughs> these days. Right. So, and who? I guess you also have to think about like who's self-selecting to go to the game. It, right. in my opinion, is going to be people who already don't take this that seriously. So, mm-hmm. what are they going to do once they're there? I don't know. Maybe that's that's judgmental of me, but it, it is so. It kind of just gets back to like this whole thing has felt like we we worked really hard at it for a little bit, but it was just like people. As always, regular people trying to do the best that they can 
in a situation where they actually don't have any of the power to control it. And they tried really hard, but it really isn't in their power to fix the problem. The people who could have fixed the problem didn't. And now everyone who worked really hard trying to fix it is just burnt out. And they're like, well, I guess we just have to live with this. And it's just like, so now after an entire season in baseball where we didn't allow fans in, we're just like, ah, it's probably fine now. Like, I know. It's like, it's like, like we trained, just, it's like we were training for a marathon and ran a 5K every day for like a week. And then we're like, we're ready to go. It's like, right? I don't really think that's how it works. We just like, you can't give up on the plan like 10% of the way through. I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's yeah. kind of our ethos here. So, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I miss them. But I also think that a quarter of a stadium isn't going to give me the same feeling that I want. Like, of you know, there's not going to be a crowd roar with from whatever it even is, ten thousand people. Which I don't even think they've sold that many tickets, so it's going to be like no. I mean, it's like a math equation at this point. It's like they want to make nine hundred dollars per ticket and to offset the cost of whatever for Mm -hmm. each team. It's like not has nothing to do with like creating an environment. Like no. Fuck the environment all year. They put up cardboard fans and virtual <laughs> fans. Like they clearly don't care about the environment. They don't care. I know it's not even like it's in Texas, <laughs> and like <laughs> sure, maybe yeah. you'll have a Texas team, but like so yeah. yeah. And every every crowd shot is just going to be a reminder of the fact that there should not be fans right. here. Exactly. I'm like I'm like this is just going to make me markedly more uneasy right. watching this thing that already shouldn't be happening. The announcers already, are exactly. in a really tough position too because they're going to, every time it's going to cut to the crowd and it's going to be like somebody eating a hot dog like two feet away from somebody who's drinking a beer and it's like and it's going to be Joe Buck being like um As a reminder uh, uh, Please wear your mask yeah. <laughs> It's like okay thanks yeah. Joe. No that's a really good point like it feels like they shouldn't even do crowd shots because you're just going to be showing people like behavior that they shouldn't be practicing (laughs) (laughs) yeah as if baseball fans weren't already stupid enough r.i.p to the kiss cam kiss cam's dead (laughs) forever now yeah it's done honestly good thank you (laughs) yeah if that's one thing we can get out of this year then (laughs) agreed that's a win (laughs) um okay well i think that was five that's all the homework that we gave you jess this was was so much fun Um, if there is anything else that you need to get off your chest about the baseball playoffs or otherwise, this is this is your chance. Where can people find you? What are you up to? Uh, man, those questions, those answers are just so different now. Um, I'm just a normal person back to my job. <laughs> but you know, getting I'm baseball still, tweets off. Where can people am, find your I'm baseball doing, tweets? Yeah, so I'm still tweeting from my campaign account, Just for Delaware. Um, I'm Just for Delaware on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm gonna start doing i'm gonna keep doing like video content and stuff like that um just to talk about what's going on in our world and do kind of the breakdowns and explainers of what's happening both in the government and then sort of outside just in the greater (laughs) ethos and society of our country and, and kind of talking about um current events and just try to keep that um same engagement of the stuff that I was doing that I think really resonated with people in the beginning. So I'm going to be getting back to that now that my, my three week hiatus from life is over. So yeah, just for Delaware, I'm, I'm still there. And yeah, my baseball tweets, I guess are going to run out in a couple of weeks. So I'll have to find something else anyway. You can get those <laughs> off season labor takes off like me and Alex. Oh, do. When, when the baseball season ends, it just becomes us yelling about the players union and how yeah. they need to hold firm ground and not give up on anything and exactly. death to it's the qualifying be... offer. And yeah, it's going to be an interesting year for that. So we will see. I'm sure I'm sure I will have some takes as always. 
Jess, thank you so much for for coming on and doing this. We really we really loved having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Thank you once again to Jess for coming on. We didn't, I, I realized it occurred to me, we didn't even talk about the thing that she like slid into our replies about, which is all the freaking home runs in the like A's Astros series. We, I mean, we didn't even talk about it in the, on this podcast at all, or you and me. Uh, Dude, you want to do a quick home run conversation? First of all, Dodger Stadium is a fucking launching pad. Was a launching pad for this whole postseason. Ball juiced hot air out there versus Texas, which is like the big, to me, like we didn't talk about this with Jess, but this is like maybe the biggest story of the postseason is that just like you can't hit a home run in Texas, which is insane because so many teams have built their lineups around home run dependent guys. And then you put them in this ballpark where it's almost impossible to hit a home run because the fences are so deep and the way that the ballpark is structured, it makes them deeper in left and right center, which doesn't make, you could, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, and you could argue, like, all right, baseball stadiums are different, whatever. That's fine. You know, if if it's hard to hit a home run in the stadium, that's fine. But it shouldn't be different between leagues or between, you know, team. Like, you can't well, also, have these neutral playoff sites but yeah. have two completely yeah. different outcomes when you hit a, a baseball in them. But also, like, the reason that it's okay that baseball stadiums are different is because you would never play more than four games in that stadium in a series. Yeah, it's so like you would always have the your own stadium to default back to, and we don't have that this year. So I think it's a colossal error to make pitchers to make Texas's stadium the biggest pitchers park in baseball right now through one year of being active, the place that you play the World Series. It's again, it's what we talked about with Jess. It's just like it's disrupting for disrupting sake. It's like not actually thought out or like planned for competitive fairness or anything like that. But I mean. Petty squabblings aside, I'm at least excited to watch these championship series, which, you know, we this podcast was recorded on a Sunday. If you're listening to it, you're probably listening to it on Monday. So we missed ALCS game one. Um, we won't steal any more of your time. We won't talk any more in the past. Alex, this was fun. Thank you again to Jess. And thank you to you. If you are listening, it is much appreciated. And we hope that you tune back in again next week. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!